It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Old Wolfgang would, would roll in his grave. <laughs> What's a podcast? <laughs> Is it, so it's like the radio? Also with the radio. <laughs> <laughs> What's good? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I am the titular Newest Olympian. I never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I'm doing it now as a quest to determine if this is the YA series we should have been reading all along. I am not alone in this quest, though. I am joined by a very special guest and... I'm joined in person. This is the first completely in-person podcast recording that I've done since January of 2020. It's the best man in my wedding, Johnny Frolicstein. Johnny, how's it going? It's going great. I didn't realize that I was the first in-person since pre-pandemic. That's wild to me. I think the only time in person besides this was I did a meddling adults episode with my parents, but this is the only time I've had someone in the studio with me recording an episode of something. Well, and saying it was with your parents is sort of like saying, oh yeah, I've cooked for people before and it says you've cooked for your parents. So that doesn't even count either. Look, it was a real episode of meddling adults that went out on the feed and everything, but we are here to discuss two chapters of The Lightning Thief. We're discussing chapters 12 and 13. The reason being that you called dibs on 13 and you are not telling me why you You're just telling me that it is a silly reason that I'm going to laugh at you for. For context right now, I've only read chapter 12, but then we're going to stop recording, read, and then record for chapter 13. So it's as fresh as possible. Yeah, it's a very silly reason that I want chapter 13. But yeah, so I was certainly a bigger Harry Potter fan growing up than I was a Percy Jackson fan. Uh, I read four of the books. And then when I was like 17 and I was like, oh, I'm never going to read children's books again. I just read the plot summary for the fifth one. So that's my knowledge of the series. But joining you and getting into it and now rereading it along with you, my eyes are being opened to the all of the great things in this series because it is so much fun and so much more fun than that other one, in my opinion. I'm having a blast with this. I know it's early going, but I also am enjoying Percy Jackson more than I was enjoying early Harry Potter. And it could be just because I'm in a different place. I know this is my full-time job now. The books, I think, are a little more my style. I might be just in a happier place in my life, or maybe I'm used to YA novels now, but I feel like I am enjoying this more. I'm certainly less frustrated with Percy, though I have been warned that he can become a little more frustrating as the books go on. But As we sit right now, I'm having a blast. I love these books. It is impossible not to smile while reading them. And it's really hard to put them down. Kelly, who had not read a single page until a couple days ago, is already almost done with the first book. She's just been plowing through it. (laughs) They're very marathonable, which I imagine is difficult for you as someone who's never read them before and is like required by your job to stop every (laughs) once in a while is, I mean... When I was rereading this first one, I was planning on reading it along with you. And then I was on the beach and finished it in like two sittings and 
that was it. I couldn't slow myself. I need to go back in time and apologize to my parents because when I was growing up in New Jersey, we'd go down the Jersey Shore all the time in the summers. And my parents and my friends' parents would love to just sit in those little steel with the fabric over the bars folding chairs and just post up on the beach and read. And I would never understand why parents like doing this. I was always wanting them to go in the ocean with us or throw the frisbee on the sand or whatever. And then on Kelly and I's honeymoon, we went to the Dominican Republic. And anytime I wasn't sitting on the beach reading a book, I was sad. And now I totally get it. So beach reading, yeah, it's great. And I totally understand why my parents enjoyed it so much when I was a kid. And the concept of which books qualify as beach reads is Uh so much clearer to me now. A beach read is way better than like a nonfiction on the beach. Right. I did do a nonfiction basketball story on the beach, but I feel like that's different. Counts as a beach read. (laughs) Counts as a beach read. So let's get into chapter 12, which is titled, We Get Advice from a Poodle, which, of course, at this point, I'm expecting anything from the chapter titles, and this is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it would almost be more jarring if you came across a chapter title that was just like, The Warning or something. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, at least that's nice and ominous. If this one was just called Walking Through the Woods, I would have been flabbergasted. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, it's par for the course now to have A-plus chapter titles. For sure. So our team is camping out in the woods, but they don't light a fire to dry their wet clothes and to use functionally because they want to avoid drawing more attention to themselves. And in classic roughing it or now squid game method, they sleep in shifts and PJ offers to take the first watch. They talk about them going to sleep and apparently Annabeth, you know, her head hits the pillow and she starts snoring immediately. Mm-hmm. I love, because aren't they all like 13? Yes. I definitely was not snoring at 13. I wasn't even close. Yeah, Percy's 12. I don't know if Annabeth is 12 or 13. Grover is 14 in quotation marks because right. he's 28, but then you divide it by two. I guess snoring might be an age thing. I don't snore often. I think it's very rare. My dad snores if... He's sleeping not in his house. Anytime we would <laughs> anytime we would be in a hotel on a trip, that is when Joel P. Schubert would snore. And now Joel and Barb listen to this podcast as opposed to Potterless. So now I have to be a little more careful when I tell stories about my parents because they will listen to it. But love you, Dad. You're great. But you definitely snored every time we had those two queen bedrooms on baseball trips or vacations or whatever. And it would wake me up. It was just so funny the way that you teed that up because you were like, my dad only snores when, and I was like expecting like, oh, when he's on his back or when he's on his side or something stupid. And then you were like, when he's not in his house. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe his body just knows something is wrong. It's just not right here. The air, it's not the same. So yes, Annabeth falls asleep immediately. That's how I roll. I'm a head hit the pillow. I'm out pretty soon guy, which is a blessing and helps me to sleep on planes as well. Grover takes a little bit. He is not quite asleep just yet. He's saddened by the pollution that he sees on the ground. Narrator Proceed mentioned that there were cans and wrappers from the kids partying. And then also Grover is referring to the light pollution, which isn't really pollution, right? It's just you can't see the stars because there's bright lights on buildings. But I think light pollution is still like the proper phrase for it. Like noise pollution is sort of the same thing. It's it's not like traditional pollution. Mm -hmm. As for the the garbage from the kids, I live in a suburb of New York that's fairly wealthy and they have these parties in the woods that are like everyone knows about even the parents. That's just like sort of tacitly accepted that the kids are going to go off and drink and litter the woods and it's bizarre. It's the weird and like even up to like the you know local authorities know that it's happening and no one does anything about it. It's very like 
sort of dystopian, like wealthy white suburb can get away with anything kind of vibe. It's bleak. That's wild. And also let the record show Johnny lives in a wealthy white neighborhood because of his girlfriend's job. Oh, <laughs> not, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. And they, yeah, you you are not stuffy white person. No, 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 no. <laughs> we no, we yeah. A lot of waspy folks around me. <laughs> So fun double entendre use of pollution by Grover here. Percy notes that it makes sense that Grover, a satyr, would be an environmentalist. And Grover hits him with some truth and replies, says, quote, only a human wouldn't be. Your species is clogging up the world so fast. Ah, never mind. It's useless to lecture a human. At the rate things are going, I'll never find Pan. Which, my goodness. Real truth from Grover here, because we are destroying the world. Shout out to Uncle Rick for being aware of this in 2005. But then Percy comes back with Pam, like the cooking spray. (laughs) And Grover yells, Pan, P-A-N, the great god Pan. What do you think I want a searcher's license for? And then I wrote in my notes, dot, 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 to find Pan? Question mark? (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. I can guess. But then there is a strange breeze that comes through. It smells of berries and wildflowers and clean rainwater. All the things that may have once been in these woods that they are currently in. And then Percy asks Grover about the search. That part is so well written when he talks about the strange breeze coming through right after he says the word pan. It's just like when I was reading this, I felt like I could sort of feel a little breeze, too. This was just like so well written. And you can sort of imagine the scene where he says pan and then like the rustling of the trees in the wind and it all gets a little louder for a second. I don't know. I love this part. Yeah, I didn't even think about that of the wind being maybe some form of pan making the wind come through because he was mentioned or if it was just percy recognizing what these woods could have been if they were left perfectly intact and it was just like the winds of yesteryear coming through but i also like that percy and grover have a real friendship where they ask each other uncomfortable questions and they have tough conversations percy asks him and it's not in a ask your friend about something that's uncomfortable way where percy doesn't have social cues he knows that this is something that Grover is okay with talking about. And we've seen past instances like Percy not pressing Luke on the story about his scar, where Percy is respectful of letting people tell stories if they want to. And I think the way he did this here didn't feel bratty. It felt like a friend genuinely wanting to know, hey, you've brought up the search before. Let's talk about it. Yeah, and when uh, when I was in high school journalism, one of the like interviewing 101 things they taught us, which I have no idea if this is actually like how mm. you should interview, but they talk about how you shouldn't necessarily like ask questions because questions sort of demand finite answers, but uh, phrasing it like tell me about the search uh, sort of just like allows him to go in any direction that he wants to. And yeah, isn't that a good little that is good. little thing? Yeah, a little reframing. I'll have to keep that in mind for when I eventually interview Uncle Rick when it comes on the pod. Uh-huh. Rick, come on the pod. You could say tell me about the search for this story. <laughs> <laughs> So Grover, in response to this, says, quote, The god of wild places disappeared 2,000 years ago. A sailor off the coast of Ephesus heard a mysterious voice crying out from the shore. Quote, Tell them that the great god Pan has died. When humans heard the news, they believed it. They've been pillaging Pan's kingdom ever since. But for the satyrs, Pan was our lord and master. He protected us and the wild places of the earth. We refuse to believe that he died. In every generation, the bravest satyrs pledged their lives to finding Pan. They searched the earth, exploring all the wildest places, hoping to find where he is hidden and wake him from his sleep. And then in response, I said, Ah, that's why he wants the searcher's license. And at first, when Percy asked him about this, I thought he was asking him about the quest that went wrong. I didn't realize mm-hmm. he meant search for Pan. I thought he was really asking a tough question, but this was only a semi-tough question of, oh, you've literally just talked about it. But yeah, I mean, 
I really like Grover a lot. I already did, and now I just want even more the best for him. And the way he gets sad about environmental stuff is so sweet and pure. I and love he, Will yes. Grover. He's perfect. I'm a huge Grover fan. It's true. It's endearing. It feels real. And it's not fake. Right. And it's very nice. So Grover says that his father and his uncle Ferdinand, who we met as a statue before, were Sad. searchers. And it is Grover's life dream as well. He wants to be the first searcher to return alive. And Percy, like I was, is floored to hear that no one has come back alive in the 2,000 years of searching for Pan. Yeah, it's like, I'll be the first return alive and it's like record scratch wait wait wait, wait. <laughs> the, the what did you say the first to return alive yep. come on so when percy questions grover asking him do you really think you'll be the one to find pan grover says i have to it's the only thing that keeps searchers from despair when they look at what humans have done to the world which man makes me feel really bad i'm already not feeling great about our climate situation and every month i feel like there's another terrible story so reading this one now hit a little different, Ugh, man. Yeah, no kidding. It's quite prescient. And I don't re necessarily remember the details from the rest of the series about like Seder culture, but I think this says a lot about Seder culture that like, even though no one has returned for 2000 years, like still the like peak occupation as a satyr that you can have as a searcher. I think that's really lovely. Mm -hmm. It says a lot about their group, and I really like satyrs. I want nothing but the best for them. This just feels like a great group, and I've already been kind of upset that it feels like people are putting satyrs down a peg just for being satyrs. They sound fantastic. I, I don't understand. I Before it was just, oh, shouldn't we all be the same? Now I think satyrs have good heads on their shoulders, oh, yeah. so the I'm even more upset about this. So Percy wonders to himself how Grover could pursue a dream that is so hopeless, but then he questions himself, wondering, am I any better given what I'm trying to do right now? So Percy asks Grover how they're going to get into the underworld, and Grover starts to mention something that Annabeth said to him when Percy was in Medusa's office. And Percy snarkily says, oh, I forgot. Annabeth will have a plan all figured out. Grover stands up for Annabeth, pushes back, and says, don't be so hard on her. She's a good person, and she even forgave me. And then his voice falters. Before we get into the forgiving thing, and what Percy says in reply, I just got to say, I've said this before, I like that Grover isn't playing favorites between Annabeth and Percy. He's not taking sides. He's pushing back on Percy when he's being a bit too much and not being fair. And I think that's really good to have in a friend, especially when you've got a trio. I think Grover is just the actual hero of this series is what we're finding out here. Grover is so good. Big fan, big fan. So Percy asks, forgive you for what? And then he kind of puts it together. Grover's first keeper job was five years ago and Annabeth has been at the camp for five years. Percy asks Grover if Annabeth was his first assignment, and is that the one that went wrong? And Grover says he can't talk about it, and Percy sees that he's fighting back tears, so he doesn't press him on it. Good job, Let's Percy. Go. Let's go. Love to see that. Instead, Grover goes back to what Annabeth was telling him, which is that something seems off with the quest. Grover says that Dodds waited too long to attack Percy, and then the kindly ones seem to be holding back a bit on the bus. And then they start to talk about when the kindly one said, where is it? And I thought it was strange when they said it and not him. Percy says, oh, the it is me. But Annabeth and Grover are thinking it might not be. It might actually be an object. It might be an actual it, like a thing, as opposed to calling Percy it as a pejorative pronoun usage. Yeah, knowing what I know, I can't really engage you in any discussion here. I'm just going to sit here and zip my mouth. Right. So my thinking here changes a little bit. All I've laid out right now is I think it could be Ares because he wants war and bloodshed because that's what he is the god of. But by asking where is it, it almost feels like they could be asking where is the lightning bolt and Hades wants it and maybe Hades doesn't have it or Hades did and someone stole it from him. It feels like there could be the chance that 
Hades is trying to send the kindly ones after Percy because he truly believes Percy has the bolt and they're trying to get it back from him. I don't know. It feels like they might be going after the bolt. I don't know if he had it, someone took it, or if he never had it and he's just the most likely suspect. But this is where my brain started to go. The only thing that I will say in response is that had you read this when you were a preteen or an early teen like I did, you would not be suspecting anyone but Hades because your only knowledge of the gods was Hercules the movie and Hades is the bad guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in a very surprising move, Percy reveals to Grover right away that he doesn't care about the bolt. He's just in it to try to save his mom. And I predicted this to be a much later revelation and something that would become an argument between Percy and someone else. But he tells Grover right away and Grover says, yeah, I know, which is great. Grover can read (laughs) Percy like a book, like The Lightning Thief by Rick Riordan. That is a book. (laughs) That's one of the books. That's one of the books. But Grover then asks Percy if he's sure that that is the only reason, saying, are you sure you don't really want to impress your dad? Come on. Percy says, I'm not doing it to help my dad. Quote, he doesn't care about me. I don't care about him. And Grover hits him with some truth. He says, quote, look, Percy, I'm not as smart as Annabeth. I'm not as brave as you but I'm pretty good at reading emotions. You're glad your dad is alive. You feel good that he's claimed you, and part of you wants to make him proud. That's why you mailed Medusa's head to Olympus. You wanted him to know what you'd done. And Percy says, yeah, well, maybe satyr emotions work differently than human emotions, because you're wrong. I don't care what he thinks. And and then Grover says, okay, Percy, whatever, which is the perfect (laughs) response. Fine. Gosh. I feel like if he doesn't become a searcher, Grover can just be a therapist. Honestly? Reads emotions well, has tough conversations, knows when people are being too much. It's great. Love it. Love it a lot. Grover then offers for Percy to go to sleep for the first shift as well, presumably because Percy's being a big grump. And then Grover starts to play Mozart Piano Concert Number 12, which has Percy sleeping in no time. Do you know what this tune is off the top of your head? I'm not good at knowing the ones that have numbers. I totally know what it is. I just don't want to sing it. I would be self-conscious, but I totally know what it is because I'm really classically music educated. You know, I'm super posh and I know everything about classical music. I feel like I already might have pulled this up the first time it was mentioned that Grover can play this song when I was recording an episode, but let me just pull up a YouTube video and let's see. I mean, that is very soothing. How would you play anything like this on the flute? Maybe just the melody notes? What's nice is that this is in the public domain, so we can't get sued for playing this music right now. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> we could do the whole rest of the episode with this in the background. Oh, Ooh, I'm sure, you're, I'm so sure all soothing. the listeners would love that. <laughs> Old Wolfgang would, would roll in his grave. <laughs> <laughs> what's a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> is it, so it's like the radio? Also, what's a radio? <laughs> What do you mean you can play music from the box? What's a frequency? (laughs) So Percy is sleeping in no time and uh uh-oh, Percy Jackson dream and it's an intense one. So Percy's standing in front of an enormous pit. Creatures made out of gray mist are surrounding him and Percy knows that these are spirits of the dead. They tug at his clothes and try to pull him back away from the pit, but he feels compelled to approach its edge. He believes that the pit is bottomless, but he senses something huge and evil trying to rise from the abyss. And then he hears a voice that says, The little hero, too weak, too young, but perhaps you will do. The little hero. Yeah, that, <laughs> the little hero. That's just, that is a big nope for me. I just wrote nope, 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 nope <laughs> in my notes. The voice continues, they have misled you, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like Mufasa. Simba, <laughs> everything the pit touches is our kingdom. What's that, the endless pit? You must never go there. <laughs> they have misled you, boy. Barter with me. I will give you what you want. 
And then an image of his mother appears at the moment of her death. It appears above Percy. He tries to cry out, but his voice doesn't work. And this happens to me all the time in dreams. I am huge with can't yell or your eyes are closing and your vision is kind of tunneling in. Ugh. So this is a big same for me. I've been meaning to ask you about your like experience now that you're sort of getting into fantasy novels mm -hmm. as an adult. Like you just got to accept that like dreams are a way to move the plot forward because like as a child, you sort of just like, oh, yeah, you dreamed about something that also is happening in real life. And that's fine. But I'm curious, like, if you find that obnoxious or anything, sort of experiencing this for the first time as not a child. If it wasn't for the ways they've shown up in the two series that I've read for podcasts, I think I would be more miffed about it. But they both have magic involved. Harry's dreams were kind of Voldemort situation with... Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, question mark, horcruxes and him being able to see and stuff like that. And for Percy, Greek gods, dreams is always a big thing. You could chalk that up to the magic. So I think if it, there wasn't magic behind it, I would find it to be a bit hokey. I did read the first one and a half books of The Hunger Games, and I don't think Katniss had any plot important dreams, <laughs> which makes sense because she is just a human that is very good with a bow and arrow. So I think because magic is involved, I can give it a pass. But otherwise, yeah, I might view it a bit as a crutch in writing just to advance things. I just love that society has accepted that The Hunger Games is a children's novel, even though it's a children's novel about children murdering each other. <laughs> I mean, it is YA. The spectrum yeah, of YA yeah, yeah. is different. That's fair, on the older fair. end. And I think someone even pointed out to me that Percy Jackson, I think, is technically middle grade because it's for ages 8 to 14 or yeah, 10 yeah, yeah. to 14 or something, as opposed to Hunger Games being like 15 to 18. I don't know, man. It's just easier to call it a YA series. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. So cold laughter emerges from the chasm and the voice continues. Help me rise, boy. Bring me the bolt. Strike a blow against the treacherous gods. You have forgotten me, Simba. <laughs> Simba, remember, remember. See, I wish I could tell you what's going on with this voice so that I could say, oh, this person is just, uh, you know, Mufasa, but I can't. <laughs> so the spirits tell Percy no, encouraging him to wake up. The voice then has an unseen grip around Percy and the image of Percy's mother begins to fade. And he realizes that this grip, this voice is not trying to pull Percy in to the chasm, but instead it's trying to use Percy to pull itself out, which I think Percy should have put together when the voice said, help me rise, boy. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we got there, Percy. It's okay. Also, didn't Mufasa try to use Scar okay. to rise oh, out okay. of a chasm? <laughs> Spoiler alert. Long live the king. <laughs> God, Scar is so good. So Percy then wakes up. I don't know if Annabeth was shaking him or if he just woke up. And then Annabeth says, quote, well, the zombie lives and Percy can still feel the specter's grip on him. He asks how long he was asleep. And Annabeth says, quote, long enough for me to cook breakfast. And then the narrator says, Annabeth tossed me a bag of nacho flavored corn chips from Auntie M snack bar. What an amazing line. That's just phenomenal. What a great retort followed by, yeah, here's breakfast. Eat some Doritos. I haven't been camping in quite a while, but now I want to go just to be able to use that line for whoever sleeps in. <laughs> when you stayed in my place last night, I should have silently made sausage and eggs and then <laughs> handed it to you. But alas, you were sleeping in my living room, which is attached to my kitchen. <laughs> it also requires the person to ask, how long was I out? Which <laughs> yeah. is like a total sitcom thing. But also now, every time we have a little slumber party, we're going to have to ask each other, <laughs> yeah. how long was I asleep? And then I'll throw some sort of snack at you and I'll say, long enough to make breakfast. And we'll Here, laugh eat and laugh. <laughs> Here, eat some cashews. <laughs> 
So Annabeth says that Grover found a friend, and this friend, I should have guessed this based on the title, but of course, because the chapter is almost over, I forgot what the title was. It's a pink poodle. And then I remembered, oh, right, they're supposed to get advice from a pink poodle. So Percy is suspicious of the poodle. Grover says it is their ticket to the West. It's named Gladiola, which I don't know if this is some Greek name. I bet it's something. But if it is, don't tell me. Moya will tell me on the mythology episode after this book. But I'm very confused by what's going on. I don't know if this poodle is magical. Turns out it is not. Grover can just communicate with animals, which feels very clutch for their endeavors. Percy's so suspicious of the poodle that he won't even say hello to it when Grover says, say hello to the poodle. And Annabeth has another great line where Annabeth is starting to feel like the cold-blooded person in the movie slash story where she, she's just the no-nonsense character, says to Percy, I said hello to the poodle. You say hello to the poodle. (laughs) The poodle then growls and then the narrator says, I said hello to the poodle, which is just fantastic. (laughs) Apparently, Grover found Gladiola and then struck up a conversation. And Gladiola is a he, which I think is fantastic because Pink Poodle and then also the name Gladiola, just by ending in an A, thought that was going to be a girl's name because language, but it is a boy. Love it. Gladiola ran away from his rich family, and they have posted a $200 reward for Gladiola's return. Only $200 seems ridiculous. For a pink poodle from a rich family? Come on. That poodle was probably cost that family like at least two to $3,000. Yeah, because you know this rich family did not adopt this pink poodle. They had a breeding situation going on. Hashtag adopt, don't shop. Shout out to Paul Bay. Definitely got to adopt. But this reward should be five grand. It should be at least one grand. $200? I get it was the year 2005, but $200 for a pink poodle? Come on. Yeah, and that's the thing is like you need, logically, you need your reward to be worth more than some nefarious person could just sell it for. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly not the case. They could sell a pink poodle, even if it was, you know, a rehoming or whatever. Some evil person who didn't want to return it could sell it for way more than $200. So like 200, you're not getting your poodle back. Yeah. You don't care about this poodle, evil rich family. I would hope that they bartered and negotiated the price up a bit, but we don't actually see that exchange. Grover says that Gladiola does not want to return, but he doesn't mind doing so if it means helping out his new friend Grover, which I like Gladiola. Shout out to Gladiola. Percy then asks, how does Gladiola know about the reward? And Grover says, he read the signs, duh. And Percy says, of course, silly me, which I love Percy's attitude towards all the magic. He's just rolling with all the punches and he just kind of takes everything, even if he's sassy about it, just takes it and goes, okay, yeah, uh uh-huh, we're doing this too. Yep, mm mm-hmm. This is what the rules are. Of course it is. And it's only been like a few, what, like two months max since he's like discovered all this or less Mm -hmm, even. mm -hmm. Maybe like two months is the very most based on what, how you read this book that like he's learned about all this stuff and he's just totally still rolling with it. Yeah, it's great. I love his approach. He's just taking it in and thinking, okay, yep. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yep. Let's go with it. So the plan is to turn in Gladiola, get the money and then buy tickets to LA. And then I thought, certainly not bus tickets, right? They got to get a train at this point. Percy then says, not another bus. And then Annabeth points out some tracks. And then I thought, ooh, Amtrak. And then Annabeth does confirm Amtrak. She says there is a station half a mile away. And in both my copy and your copy of the book, Amtrak in this instance in chapter 12 is spelled A-M-T-R-A-C-K, which is not how Amtrak is spelled. Amtrak is spelled A-M-T-R-A-K. And what's even weirder about this is in the next chapter, I do know that Amtrak is spelled properly. This ruins the whole thing for me. This, this <laughs> book is f***ed. This book sucks <laughs> shit. 
<laughs> First curses on the pod. I'm going to oh, really? read them, but yeah, you did it. Oh, bing, bing, I didn't bing, know bing. that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can redo it. No, no, no. It's funny. I think we leave it. <laughs> but yeah, I was very surprised. I could get that Rick might not spell this right because Amtrak in Texas is not very popular because Texas is a very oil car driving town. It should be popular if the Amtrak routes between Houston and Dallas and Dallas and San Antonio and Austin and Dallas were more of a thing that would make much more sense. But Amtrak Northeast is huge. I take Amtrak all over the place and it's great. And I'm furious that we don't have the Northeast amount of trains and stops everywhere because it's fantastic. So I could understand Texas boy Uncle Rick not spelling it right, but his editor's got to catch this, right? How do you not check? And how do you get it right in one chapter, but not in the other one? It is supremely frustrating, and we are reading two different copies, and it's the case in both of these two different copies. I'm obviously kidding. I'm not actually that frustrated by this, but... (laughs) You made the point about the Texas train situation, and you're so right that it's probably driven by the fact that Texas hearts cars. Mm-hmm. But, and I heart Texas for a lot of other reasons, but certainly their politics are questionable. I feel like they've been talking about the uber fast train from Houston to Dallas that's going to get there in like two hours. It feels like they've been talking about that for like a decade. Yeah. It's never going to happen. I will never believe it. I hope it does. I did take what might be what they're doing. They might have been doing a faster version in Houston, but I took the fast one from New York to Boston for a Potter Hills live show, and it was phenomenal. It was fantastic. Super quick, super smooth, not expensive. Gosh, we need more of it. Shout out to trains. We need more of them. I'm so jealous of countries that have better train systems than us. So now, according to Gladiola, the westbound train leaves at noon. How does Gladiola know the train (laughs) schedule? Well, she could read the sign. She could read the missing sign. I mean, right. But this goes beyond just knowing how to read. It would mean Gladiola would have to know the schedule, commit it to memory, and just know, oh, yeah, it's whatever day of the week it is. Westbound train leaves at noon. Fantastic. Love it. How did Gladiola know? Who's to say? But that is the end of chapter 12. We will now cut to our little break the lightning brief. And when we come back, we'll do chapter 13. Let's become train guys. Let's let's like get model trains. I'm Let's be trained, guys. I'm down. Let's do it. I'm already there. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to the Lightning Brief. If you follow the newest Olympian on Instagram or Twitter, you've already seen this, but in case you don't, I wanted to make sure that you are all aware that I will be taking the Monday after Thanksgiving off. The standard practice here at the newest Olympian is that if there's a month with five Mondays in it, I will take one of those Mondays off just to give myself some breaks, and then there will be occasional breaks for holidays and stuff. In this case, it's a two-for-one, so it makes a lot of sense for me to take a break. This just helps for me to catch up on other work that I have to do and also not get burnt out and, you know, breathe and sleep and stuff. But if you ever want to know the full schedule of the newest Olympian by month, you can go to the slash about, and I'm always updating that. So you can always see what the next four episodes are going to cover. If you are trying to read along in prep for the episodes. Of course, I also want to take some time here to thank everyone who is supporting the show on Patreon. If you go to the newestolympian.com slash Patreon, you can support the show and you get access to a bunch of sweet bonus content as a thank you for doing so. Recently, we had another monthly live stream. I'm going to soon be posting a bonus episode where I take a godly parent sorting type quiz, which will be a fun time. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can get access to right now. And I want to move on to some shout outs. First, I'd like to thank our newest mega god patron, Mackenzie Jordan. I'd like to thank our newest 
god-tier patron Katya Stein, and now another chunk of 50 demigod patrons I would like to thank. So shout out to Kay, Raiden Forsyth, Mar, Jylene Torres, Will, Jasmine Harris, Can't I Jackson, Riley Mall, Ripley Blackmore, Ricky I Can't Fight with a Pen, Gaddy, Shannon Frazier, Anaeli Moreno, Kay Germa, Anna, Julio Caesar, Ryan Grover, Samantha Marquart, Serenity, Samantha O'Shea, Nia Maria Torminen, Chad Croissant, Susan Sendry, Zach Beaven, Kareem, Douglas Porter, Josie Klein, Reluctant Muggle, Danny, Katie Counts, Destiny Ramos, Derek Driscoll, Laura Johnson, Josh Gerlin, Leanne Fedek, Cody Kaplinger, Alyssa Burrell, Ronald Troyer, Emily Fern, Alexander Pope, Jocko Pantsar, Peachy Ari, Liliana Alves, Marianne Merjovara, Lachlan Hancock, Stare, Jelmer Widovine, Mona, Blake R., Goncalo Arago, and Shalom Ogorosobo. And also want to do some name corrections for Megan Battenfield, Anna Botcher, Seth G's, and Laura, who thought it would be fun if I tried the authentic Dutch G sound in the middle of her last name. She said it would be fun to hear me mess it up. I'm certainly going to mess it up because I'm not Dutch at all. So here's my best attempt. Laura Hegeman. <laughs> she said it sounded like a joke. I don't know. I Googled it and everything. <laughs> Thank you to all of you for supporting the show, even if you make me sound like a silly, ridiculous human being on a microphone on a podcast. And speaking of thanks, I want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of The Collective. There's a bunch of fun podcasts that you can listen to on Multitude beyond shows that I work on. One of the ones that I did not work on, though I do have a tiny cameo role in, is the audio sitcom Next Stop. This show explores the turbulent time of your life in the mid to late 20s when everyone is changing around you and you worry that you might not catch up. There is a 10-episode first season that is already out. It's fully complete, and it follows the journey of three roommates going through work, relationships, friendships, and more. A bunch of folks at Multitude put their heads together to make this happen, and if you like sitcoms on TV, you'll probably like the 21st Century Sitcom Podcast, Next Stop. As I mentioned, Season 1 is completely out. You can listen to it all right now by searching for Next Stop in your podcast app or going to nextstopshow.com. And finally, before we wrap up here, just a few words from some sponsors who are supporting the show, making it feasible for me to do this as a full-time job. Some of these ads will be read by me. Some of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are locally inserted. So if you live in Nigeria, don't be surprised if you hear a Nigerian ad. And once these ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This episode of The News Olympian is brought to you by Thrive Market. Now, at Camp Half-Blood, they are cooking up a whole bunch of fun stuff at the cafeteria. But we never really hear about where they supply all of the things for the cafeteria. I'm not sure where they get their stuff, but you know where they should get their stuff? Thrive Market. Thrive can be your go-to for all of your grocery and household essentials, and it has been my go-to. I've got a bunch of stuff from Thrive now, and I genuinely enjoy all of it. I've got Thrive trash bags, dishwashing detergent, snacks, rice, beans, things that wash my dishes, like scrub brushes and stuff. They have a lot of really great deals. I've been capitalizing on those deals, and I have truly been enjoying using Thrive Market. I love a lot of things about Thrive. I love that they only allow trusted, top-quality ingredients while restricting harmful ingredients like artificial flavors, high-fructose corn syrup, and more. And whether you are looking for organic kid snacks, high-protein essentials, whatever it is, you can curate your own shopping experience with a few clicks. They've got all these different filters and stuff like that, different categories. I utilize those when I was looking for particular items, and it was really easy to navigate the site. I always have a simple time finding what I'm looking for. And it's not just saving time, I'm saving money as a Thrive Market member. I'm looking at my stats right now, my average savings per order are $34.98. On my last order, I saved almost $50, and I got a whole bunch of things for my pantry. I got hands up refills, I got chicken broth, I got rice, I got beans, I got kitchen towels. It was great. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash 
slash TNO for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash TNO, thrivemarket.com slash TNO, so you can be as well-stocked as the Camp Half-Blood cafeterias are today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back, and we're here to discuss chapter 13, which is called I Plunge to My Death. Again, a surprising and intense chapter title, not necessarily a funny one, but feels like the stakes are going to be back high. We've had a nice one chapter break from the stakes being incredibly high. Getting thrown back uh, right into the thick of it, aren't we? Well, at this point, you know that I desperately wanted this chapter, and mm-hmm. all you know is that the chapter is called "I Plunge to My Death," and you're right. like, "What is uh-huh. it? Like, you're are you a different person than the one I thought?" <laughs> and now that I have read chapter thirteen, I know the reason why you picked it, and it's it's so silly. <laughs> <laughs> So the team spends two days on the Amtrak, spelled correctly, and they are attacked zero times, but Percy is not relaxing. He tries to lay low because his face is all over the papers in the Northeast saying he's gone missing. And you had pointed out that the newspaper... What's the name of it again? The Trenton Register News. The Trenton Register News, which I grew up pretty close to Trenton. I grew up in a very tiny town called Robbinsville in New Jersey, which is in between Trenton and Princeton in Mercer County. It's a wonderful town. This newspaper name did not sound familiar to me. I believe the Trenton Times were the big newspaper there. So this could be a newspaper. Maybe Rick has a friend there. Maybe Rick Googled Trenton-based newspaper, and that was the first thing to come up because it does have Trenton and newspaper in the title as opposed to the Trenton Times. But if he was going for authenticity here, I believe it would be the Trenton Times. I love newspapers, though, that don't have boring names like newspapers Mm. that aren't times or posts like pittsburgh is the gazette and that is amazing it's good (laughs) it's good there's also i know it has post in it but what's one like isn't something the post intelligentsia or something intelligencer or something no gazette is great tribune is good tribune is good gazette is good Yeah, yeah yeah love that So the photo in this newspaper is from a tourist as Percy was getting off the destroyed bus. His sword is a blur, so it could look like a baseball bat or a lacrosse stick. I hope for Percy's sake, not a lacrosse stick. Otherwise, everyone will assume he's a huge jerk. And the caption under this photo says, 12-year-old Percy Jackson, wanted for questioning in the Long Island disappearance of his mother two weeks ago, is shown here fleeing from the bus where he accosted several elderly female passengers. The bus exploded on an East New Jersey roadside shortly after Jackson fled the scene. Based on eyewitness accounts, police believe the boy may be traveling with two teenage accomplices. His stepfather, Gabe Ugliano, has offered a cash reward for information leading to his capture. 
capture? Get out of here, Smelly Gabe. I hate this. I hate that they think Prissy is guilty. I don't like this at all. No, Gabe is truly terrible, and he's so unambiguously terrible that it's really, because, <laughs> like, you know, even in, in Harry Potter, right, with Voldemort, it's like, well, he's super, like, sassy, and we love that about him, and it's like, no, <laughs> Gabe is unequivocally terrible. Hold on, hold on. Before you continue, you just called him Gabe. You have to call him Smelly Gabe. His oh, full legal name. How dare you? My goodness, you're so right. <laughs> wow, yeah. And Smelly <laughs> Gabe. We just had a conversation about people who have to, you have to use their full name, and mm -hmm. Smelly Gabe is Smelly totally Gabe. one of them. Yes. Smelly Gabe is unequivocally terrible. Like I said the last time that I was talking about this, the use of the word accosted mm -hmm. in the news brief here mm -hmm. leaves an uncomfortable amount of room for interpretation here. Accosted elderly female passengers. Yeah, Ooh, not a lot. Not... I don't think it's Rick's fault. I think it's the whoever wrote this news clipping in the fictional story's yeah. fault. Trent Krim from the Trenton <laughs> Register newspaper. <laughs> That's where he should work, as his name is Trent. Well, oh! <laughs> Uh, he's the Trenton. <laughs> Trenton Krim. <laughs> Trenton Krim. Yeah, there we go. We, yes, we got it. Ten we got it. Yay. Yeah, we got it. Annabeth tells Percy not to worry, though, because, quote, mortal police could never find us. Oh, amazing. And Annabeth, who I'm always calling AB in my notes, AB, more like ACAB. Uh, <laughs> Annabeth. Percy spends the next day in the train pacing because he can't sit still. And whenever he's not pacing, he's just looking out the window. So I kind of like that Percy's quirks are coming here. When you get stuff like this, like he can't sit still, or later on in this chapter, we learn he's claustrophobic. I like him having some quote unquote imperfections that a kid could say, oh, I'm also afraid of tight spaces just like Percy and Percy's the hero. Yay. I think that kind of stuff is nice. No, I'm totally with you. And I actually want to take this moment to do a little bit of uh, ADHD education as someone who is diagnosed with ADHD. Oh, and I had proud no idea. Yeah. Oh, wow. There are two kinds or two main kinds. I'm sure there's many more, but, and the two kinds are sort of inattentive and hyperactive. And Percy is pretty hyperactive, like having a hard time sitting still. And, you know, hyperactive is sort of what you envision when you get the kid who can't sit still in class and is really hyper and all of that. Inattentive is actually far more common, and I think it's equally difficult to be dealing with. And again, you don't see it in popular culture because it's not as Hollywood, but mm -hmm. it's sort of just like you constantly need dopamine in whatever you're doing. It's very, very hard to focus on anything if you haven't, you know, had coffee and the caffeine is sort of dopamine sparkling in your brain. Or if you aren't listening to music, for example, it's very hard to focus on anything because you need to like supply your brain with dopamine in order to focus. And okay. that's that's what I empathize with more. And so it's interesting to see sort of and again, I think it's just because it's popular culture and hyperactive ADHD is much easier to display in a story. But I want to give a shout out to all the inattentive ADHD folks out there, too. There you go. Thank you for this little yeah, you're insight. Welcome. That was great. So Percy, along the journey while he's looking at the window, he at one point sees a family of centaurs having lunch. And he says that no mortals on the train notice because, quote, the adult riders all had their faces buried in laptop computers or magazines. <laughs> Classic Uncle Rick being uh, uh, these kids and their phones. And their laptop computers. Yeah, their laptop computers. I like that Percy talks like the biggest narc. But yeah, Uncle Rick going into dad <laughs> mode. Great here. Oh, man. Why isn't anyone reading books? <laughs> and they're <laughs> Percy also notes that at one point he thought he saw a lion with fur that glinted gold. So I think that this is a god. I think at some point we will learn that a god could turn into a lion and was keeping Percy safe. This just felt too specific to not be something. I think another way of looking at it, though, is that there are a lot of things just unseen, you know, beneath the surface, sort mm. of like in the Harry Potter world where a lot of things are explained away by magic. Mm -hmm. I think that 
this is sort of trying to get at the vibe of if you just looked around, you might notice a little more. And ah. now that Percy's sort of eyes have been open to that, like okay. he is noticing a little more. That's sort of how I read it, at least on my reread right now. Okay, okay. All right, we'll see if my guess pans out or we maybe shall you see. Were right. So the team's Gladiola reward money could only get them train tickets as far as Denver, which I have two points about. First, should have asked for more money than $200. But two, three tickets from New Jersey to Denver for $200 is actually pretty solid. And a nickel for the movies, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how much an Amtrak ticket would cost there because Amtrak prices are interesting. When I went up to Boston, it was not super expensive, but I did pay, I want to say over $100 for round trip stuff. Whereas I did a one way from San Francisco to Sacramento recently, and it was $29. Whoa, that's amazing. And I was on the train for two and a half, three hours. To be clear though, you're saying that 200 for three people feels very low, right? Yes, yes. I I think that is low. That feels very, very low. Right. Also that train to Sacramento, I want to say maybe it was, it turned what should have been a two and a half or three hour drive, I think into an hour and a half or two hour train. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, it was only 29 bucks. It's wild. Again, all the train love. I'm sure there's some like database that we could look up like historical train prices from New Jersey to Denver. (laughs) And we could also just play around if Ticket to Ride while we do this. That we we'll could, just yeah. all train everything. Yeah, we are just trained people now. So Annabeth asks Percy at one point, who wants his help? Because in his sleep, Percy was muttering, I won't help you. Percy doesn't want to say. It was his second dream about this scary voice, but eventually he does. Annabeth says that this doesn't sound like Hades, because Hades in dreams always appears on a black throne and never laughs. So now I realize that this book's interpretation of Hades will be more along the lines of Hades the video game, where he is big, scary, intimidating, gruff, grumpy boy, as opposed to snarky, joke em up cutting-language, fire-hair Hades from the Disney film. Percy continues to Annabeth, saying that the voice offered his mother in trade, and Percy asks who else could do that. And Annabeth says, I guess if he meant help me rise from the underworld, if he wants war with the Olympians, but why ask you to bring him the Master Bolt if he already has it? And this goes along with what I was saying earlier in that I feel like Hades doesn't have it, which was always my guess from the jump, but this really makes it feel like Hades wants it. Someone else has it. I don't know if it's actually missing or if a third party took it and Hades wants it or Hades took it at some point and then someone took it from Hades. I don't know what's going on, but I feel very confident in that Hades does not have the bolt, but Hades wants the bolt. We got a nice little mystery whipping up here, though, we don't really we? This is do. good. The suspense. There's action. And now there's intrigue. <laughs> so Annabeth tells Percy that he can't barter with Hades. She says that he's deceitful, he's greedy, and he's heartless, which is the name that you have decided if I at some point did a Kingdom Hearts podcast about me never playing it, but then playing it. Great name. Only time less in there actually makes sense because heartless is actually a thing in Kingdom Hearts. But alas, I'm almost done Kingdom Hearts 3, so that podcast cannot exist. <laughs> Maybe I would do a pod just explaining the lore because the lore in Kingdom Hearts is wild. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely wild. And heartless would have been a perfect name. You're right. <laughs> you and I have talked ad nauseum about being frustrated of people thinking that every Mike Schubert podcast should just be named something less. But Heartless actually, actually makes sense. Actually works would a have been lot. Very, yeah, would have been very good. I feel like Hades is sort of described as like the mastermind in a heist movie here where like you, you can't barter with him or whatever. Like he's always going to like one extra double cross on you that you're not expecting. Right. It's actually just Heath Ledger's Joker from the Dark Knight yeah, is Hades. Yeah. 
Annabeth is not resting easy, even if the kindly ones were less aggressive, quote, this time. And Percy presses on this time, asking if she's had a run-in with them before. And she points to the glazed white bead on her necklace. This bead has an image of a pine tree on it. And she says, let's just say I've got no love for the Lord of the Dead. And I did this voice because Annabeth is now the cool character in the action movie who shoots off the cool one-liners. Annabeth could be cast in Predator and she would fit right in. Right. It's like the CSI Miami. Like, let's just say Uh I've got no love for the Lord of the Dead. (laughs) (laughs) That came up in the last episode, too. We're the same. So Percy asks Annabeth, well, what if it was your dad that was offered in trade? And Annabeth says, easy, I'd let him rot. She hates her dad because he never wanted her. When Athena and her dad had her, he apparently asked Athena to raise Annabeth on Olympus because he was too busy with work. And this is a great Uncle Rick kids movie type thing of, oh, if only the parent would put their job down for five minutes and pay attention to me, everything would be better. Loving dad mode Uncle Rick here in this chapter. But Athena let Annabeth's dad know that mortal parents have to raise the demigod children. And that does seem not super fair. Just in that what if it was like this situation where clearly the child would be better off on Olympus. I guess there could be some sort of rules here. But it sucks for circumstances like this where the mortal parent is not a good person for them to have to raise the kid. I think there's some sort of deal where like you can't live on Olympus if you're mortal, like physically. Mm. Um, That feels like it would be it. But what you're pointing out is that like God's having kids is pretty heinous because they know that no matter what happens, the person who raises this kid is going to have to just do the single parent life from start to finish. And like they're willingly doing that instead. It's pretty uh, heartless move of the gods. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Your point about mortals maybe not being able to live on Olympus makes sense because they earlier in this book said that mortals couldn't have nectar or ambrosia, Mm -hmm. which seem like things that should be pretty harmless for people, at least demigods and gods. So it would make sense if mortals can't even eat that. How could you survive on Olympus? Percy basically asks about the birds and the bees stork of it all. (laughs) He says, well, you weren't just born in a hospital. What happened? And this is what Annabeth says. I appeared on my father's doorstep in a golden cradle carried down from Olympus by Zephyr, the West Wind. You'd think my dad would remember that as a miracle, right? Like maybe he'd take some digital photos or something. Also, digital photos? Uncle Rick? What are, you mean? Laptop computers yeah, yeah, and digital yeah. photos. <laughs> photos? But he always talked about my arrival as if it were the most inconvenient thing that had ever happened to him. When I was five, he got married and totally forgot about Athena. He got a, quote, regular mortal wife and had two, quote, regular mortal kids and tried to pretend I didn't exist. Super heartbreaking here. Super heartbreaking. Also, so much to unpack on the birds and the bees and the storks of it all. Like, <laughs> wait, you were you were what? You appeared on your father's doorstep in a golden cradle carried from Zephyr the West Wind? What? That is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Super cool. I'm very excited to learn more about Zephyr the West Wind from Dr. <laughs> Moya in our future episode. Percy feels awful for Annabeth and wants to make her feel better, but doesn't know how. I love that instinct from Percy, and I also feel that. I am not great at knowing how to make people feel better, especially if something's up with Kelly. I, in my natural man instinct, just want to fix stuff, but that's not always the right situation. Sometimes you just need to let people be sad for a little bit and stew. 
I feel this from Percy a lot. I'm always internally wanting to make someone feel better when I recognize that they're not feeling great, but I just don't always know what to do. Because you watched a hundred movies growing up from the 80s and 90s of situations where women were upset about something and then men came in and like solved their problems and then they curled up in his arms and like you just internalized that because haven't we all? Gosh, real talk. Percy then decides to tell Annabeth that his mom also married someone awful, and yes, I agree, Smelly Gabe is terrible, and he tells her that she did this to protect Percy, explains the whole Smelly Gabe scent situation, the sensuation, if you will. (laughs) Get out! Leave the studio! (laughs) Boo! And then Percy says, well, maybe this is what your dad is doing, which no way. Her dad just sounds like a terrible person. Percy notices that Annabeth is pinching the gold ring on her necklace and he thinks, well, maybe this is her dad's. But then he wonders to himself, why would she have it if she hated him so much, which I think is a good question. Annabeth says her stepmom was pretty rough and wouldn't let Annabeth play with her kids. And AB's dad, unfortunately, went along with it. They would look at Annabeth with resentment anytime a monster thing happened, and it would give her the vibes of, how dare you put my kids in jeopardy? So she eventually sensed that she was unwanted and ran away, which is crushing, and especially so because she was only seven years right. old. Right, that's the thing that's so heartbreaking, is that all of those feelings that she had and all of those experiences that she had were before she was seven. That's so unfair. Poor Annabeth. We love Annabeth. We do. Percy says, well, surely you weren't alone running away. And Annabeth says that Athena guided her. And that's really nice. And apparently she made some friends along the way. I'm guessing various Greek gods of sorts. So love that. Love Athena. Maybe Annabeth couldn't be on Olympus, but Athena was still watching over her to make sure she was safe and get to the camp. Love that a lot. So Percy wants to know what happened, but he can tell that Annabeth is lost in sad memories, so he doesn't want to push it. Love this. Good job, Percy. Good stuff. And then it is now towards the end of their second day on the train. It's June 13th. It is eight days before the summer solstice. And they enter a town via the train. And now I know why you picked this chapter for your episode. They go into St. Louis, where you're from. (laughs) Shout out, shout out, shout out to Nellie and Jibs and uh, Ted Drew's frozen custard and toasted ravioli and gooey butter cake and Provel cheese and all of the million other things that make St. Louis amazing. And if you ever say one bad thing about it, I will smite you because it's perfect. I've never been. And this just reminded me that another thing that the pandemic ruined is that we were going to do a full weekend in St. Louis because the Yankees in 2020 were supposed to play the Cardinals, your favorite baseball team. And we were going to go and enjoy St. Louis for a whole time and stay with your mom and go to every game and be fun St. Louis boys. I've never been, and I'm mad that I remembered that now. I have fierce St. Louis pride, and I should take back my St. Louis is perfect because there's a lot of really messed up racial history in St. Louis, Mm. so I should take back the fact that it's perfect. But I adore St. Louis and love going home so much, and the second that I read the fact that they went into St. Louis for this chapter, I was like, oh my God, I gotta be the guest. I wanna do this so bad. It's so funny because when you texted me this, my prediction was that it was either gonna be some sort of joke or something like truly meaningful, but I didn't anticipate it would be the city where you grew up. (laughs) I like St. Louis because I lived there for my first years. Now, so, okay. There are some Golden Hills west of St. Louis. Right. But they pass through Golden Hills on the way from New Jersey, which is east of St. Louis. And I don't know which <laughs> Golden Hills I'm talking about because they're directly east of St. Louis is Illinois. And it's like straight up cornfields. Like there is no way they went through any Golden Hills after like Ohio on this train <laughs> trip. So maybe take a geography lesson, Rick. <laughs> 
Oh, I love us putting Rick on regional blast. I was able to do it in this chapter for New Jersey, where I'm from. You get to do it in St. Louis, where you're from. This is great. Yes. But Rick, please still come on the pod. This is all in good fun. We love it's you. because we love you. We love you. <laughs> so the narrator says, quote, Annabeth craned her neck to see the gateway arch. I didn't realize that was the official name of it. I just kind of call it the arch. The or arch the for thing. sure. Yeah. And narrator continues, which looked to me like a huge shopping bag handle stuck on the city. Yes. Get out of here, Percy. Okay. What is St. Louis's thoughts on the arch? Is it cool or is it bad touristy thing? Feels very cool. So St. Louis loves the arch because it's so visible and makes our skyline so distinct. Mm -hmm. But in terms of visiting the arch and going up in the arch, which I know we'll talk about more later, that's sort of the touristy thing, right? Like I've been up in the arch once in my life, having lived there for 18 years Mm -hmm. and that's fine, right? In the same way that you've probably been to the Statue of Liberty once, maybe. I have not ever been. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's but sort of the would idea, go, right? Yeah. That's the idea. It's like you go once to the tourist things in your own town. So that's the tourist part of it. But right. the arch itself, we have fierce pride for. And the fact that it's, you know, one of the tallest monuments in the country is a source of a whole lot of regional pride. I think the correct parallel to draw here is to the Space Needle in Seattle. It looks cool. It's big. It's in the skyline. It's very distinctive and unique. And there's not a lot of things that look like it anywhere else in the country. And going up it is fine, but especially the Space Needle is not fun to go up because you go up and then you don't get to see the Space Needle, which is the coolest thing in the skyline. Well, when you go up in the arch, you see downtown, which is cool. And like, especially seeing, you know, it's right next to Bush Stadium where the Cardinals play, which is Mm -hmm. very cool. But then the other side, it's just, it's the Illinois that I described. Um, (laughs) So going up in it is fine, but having it as a part of the city is great. Although... The plus that I would give it over the Space Needle is that it's actually taller than the city instead of just like in Seattle, all the pictures of the Space Needle are, it's the biggest, but it's not actually. Right. The Space Needle is tall and it is taller than most things in the city, but it's not obnoxiously so. And if it was actually in downtown, it would look smaller. I think the biggest misconception is that the Space Needle is in the middle of downtown, which it is not. It is pretty far away. (laughs) So all the things that put it in the middle of the skyline, like the Fraser logo, is completely incorrect. Right. But the Space Needle is very cool. And yes, I went up it once when I had friends in town. They were doing touristy things with their family who was also in town with them. And then we went up. I did it. It was $35, which is too many dollars to ride an elevator. But it's kind of cool. But yeah, I think that's where we're at with it. So Annabeth then explains that she wants to do that. She wants to build something huge. She explains that she loves the Parthenon and she longs to see it in person. And if they never go there at some point in these five books, I will be very disappointed. And if they do become a couple that gets together, I don't know. I'm also not forcing this. But if it does happen, if Percy doesn't propose in front of the Parthenon, huge missed opportunity here. Or the Arch. That would be But the Parthenon would be great, and I would say from experience of proposing in fancy European buildings, because I propose to Kelly in Rome at the Altar of the Fatherland, or Altare della Patria, if you speak bad Italian. (laughs) It's cool to do it in front of cool big columns and statues and stuff. You should totally do this, Percy, if you end up proposing to her at some point in time. I know a big statue in St. Louis that you could propose in front of. I'm not letting this go. (laughs) So I think actually before we go further, we're going to end this episode right here because we're going to get into some intense action stuff and we are basically at an hour of episode time right now. So I think we'll pause it here. But Johnny, thank you for joining and lending St. Louis expertise. You will lend more of it in our next episode. But if people want to find you doing stuff or if you have anything else to say, any sort of message just to promote out to the people, what would you like to say? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Johnny Frawl. Johnny spelled the normal way which I guess there's not a normal way. And then F-R-O-H-L. I'm not like a creative though. I'm just like a dude with a job. So like, it's not like a, I'm not a fun follow by any means. But 
any messages that I want to deliver. I mean, I think the podcast is speaking for itself by having two St. Louis filled episodes. So <laughs> that's all the message that needs to be delivered. Perfect. Yes. Visit St. Louis. This episode brought to you by the Tourism Board of St. Louis. <laughs> Johnny, thanks for joining. Listeners, thanks for listening. And I guess until we continue to talk more about St. Louis, I'll just see you later, maybe in St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of The Newest Olympian. I really appreciate it. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor, Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel. And the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want to find the show on social media, we are at Newest Olympian on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Facebook is where our groups live. We have a spoiler group and a spoiler-free group. And we also have an entire Discord that you can get access to by supporting the show on Patreon at thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon. And speaking of that Patreon, I want to give a shout-out to our producer-level Patreon. Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Emma Cooey, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hoskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Natanya Page, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Tough Bayfong, Moo Moo Productions, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Griffin Dork, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Minka Driesen, Can't I See We Brain, Matt Barger, Peter Johnson the Twin, Sabrina Balsiger, Mooney B, Bony Pony, Harlan Christ, Heather McMillan, Casey Canales, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Aiden Lipold, Josh Sayer, Percy Blue, Josh Wilkie, Martin Anvik, Abby Ryan, Josh Clements, Angela MF, Mary Baumgartner, Shannon Yvonne's Aguilar, Wise Girl, and Alpacas Are Hope. If you're enjoying the show and you want to do me a solid, why don't you tell someone about the show? Word of mouth is essential for growing a podcast. And if you talk about it to someone directly or post about it on social media, those things really help out and I would very much appreciate it. But I really appreciate you listening to this episode and hopefully you will listen to our next episode where we cover chapter 13 of The Lightning Thief. But until then, I'll see you later. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
This episode of The News Olympian is brought to you by Straight River Coffee. If you've been listening to The News Olympian and you're thinking, my goodness, I would love to pair this podcast with a nice warm cup of joe, but not just any nice warm cup of joe, but specifically TNO branded coffee. Well, you are in luck because TNO coffee exists. That's right. We have partnered with Straight River Coffee, which is a small independent business that is made up of folks who listen to The News Olympian and we have teamed up to make TNO coffee. So there is a specific roast from Straight River for coffee called Anna Clues Roast. I came up with the name. I think it's very good. And you can get a one pound bag of coffee from them if you go to the slash merch. I'm not a coffee drinker, but multiple people have told me that the coffee tastes very good and smells incredible. And here's the description of the coffee from Straight River. Sourced from the finest fair trade beans, our collaborative blend boasts flavor notes of nutty caramel and rich chocolate, ensuring each sip transports you to a realm of excitement and wonder. It's cool. The bags were also made by an environmentally friendly bag company and the art design on the bags, which yes, is a pigeon drinking a cup of coffee. Those were made by another independent artist, Ava Hess, who does some incredible artwork as well. So it's a bunch of small businesses and independent creators teaming up to make this coffee happen. And it's really cool. And it also ships free internationally. So it doesn't matter if you live in the US or not the US. The price listed is the price. No extra shipping fees. It's super cool. And you can get a pound of this wonderful coffee delivered to you or multiple, I think. You, you can probably get more than one bag. I don't know. But go to thenewsolympian.com slash merch, scroll down, click the link about the coffee, and then boom, you can get some Anna Clues roast in your cup today. And then you can perfectly pair TNO coffee with your TNO podcast.